Good afternoon. I'd like to share just a, a brief word, and there might be others also, but something practical. A lot of times when you're hearing criticisms of preaching or teaching, people will say, there's nothing practical in it. <clears throat> I felt that way myself. Sometimes you'll sit and you'll hear a message, and it'll be maybe on some lofty topic, but you're like, there's nothing for me to do as a result. I can't apply that to my life. That's true to a certain extent. There's a distance a little bit between truth and action. And so the person who brings a word oftentimes is giving truth and then there's an action that we do in response to it, right? That's the practical part. But sometimes we need help making that connection. And I know I do. Sometimes I'll hear this blessed truth. I remember one time I was listening to a message on John 17 and a brother, John Luke uh, Cockerell, some of you know him, was giving a message on John 17 and I remember thinking, what an amazing message. What an amazing truth he was laying out there about the splendor of the Lord and his prayer, the high priestly prayer. And I remember leaving there thinking, I want to do something, you know, with this. I want to, you know, show the Lord, wow, Lord, you're amazing. I want to do something. But I felt like I, I was struggling. I couldn't make the application. So you may feel that way also. Uh, at times, but the Lord brought it to me um, two days after that and deepened my prayer, my own prayer life. That was the application for me, but he's the one who brought it. So I would encourage you and myself, as we sit under the teaching of the word, to not to just throw up our hands and say, well, there's nothing practical for me, but instead to ask the Lord, Lord, reveal to me, what, what would you have me to do? You know, what a great way to be a servant of the Lord. To ask that question, Lord, what would you have me to do? Someone like Isaiah said, here am I, send me. He didn't know where, but he just wanted to be available. And I believe the Lord will show us. He'll take those truths that we receive, whether in a preaching setting or say on a Thursday night Bible study setting or listening to someone on the radio, and he'll take those truths and make it practical. So practical is similar to the word practice. And so, the Christian life is a life of practice, you know, a life of conduct, a life of training, and the word I want to focus on today is a life of discipline. So, turn to 2 Peter, and those of you who are, <laughs> I keep saying I'm doing a series of talks on 2 Peter, but I mean, it's, you know, it's not a very uh, full series, I mean... There's a lot of uh, starts and stops. And so I keep saying I'm going to talk about these seven qualities in 2 Peter chapter 1. But I saw self-control coming up, and I was looking back over my notes for the talks that I gave on virtue or excellence and knowledge, and I thought, they're not very practical at all. There's nothing there. Like it says, make every effort. And I was looking back over what I said, and I said, I didn't really talk much about the how behind it. For example, as, we, as I was talking about adding knowledge, 
the most important way is reading the Bible. But don't you ever get frustrated hearing, read the Bible more? I'm like, oh man, how? What can I do? What does it mean to read the Bible more? Can't you give me any step by step? You know, I need something to grab a hold of and sink my teeth into. Because if you look at 2 Peter 1, as I've said many times before, the phrase that really captured me is in 2 Peter 1, verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to do this. And I have a desire to do that. I want to be diligent. I want to make every effort. I want to strive, not in a way that is like striving against the wind, beating against the wind, but more like someone like Paul. He was striving. He was confident in the Lord's love for him. He wasn't earning favor from God. He had done that all his life as a Pharisee. Now he was convinced that God loved him, and now he was striving as if to win. He was getting ready to win. And so I want to return, believe it or not, to those first two uh, things and talk a little bit about excellence and knowledge again, but to be more practical in a sense. In other words, to, to give something to really sink your teeth into. And if you, like me, really wants to make every effort, well, here's a way to do it. Here's something that maybe we can do that we haven't been doing up to this point. That's really the desire. Because what happens when we get to self-control is I would like to talk about the, the discipline of fasting. And it made me think about something that was very well known in Christianity for hundreds of years, but then has faded away in the 20th century, especially in the evangelical church. And that is something called the spiritual disciplines. And so there was a teaching, especially uh, in the early years of the church, about spiritual disciplines, which are basically things that you do to cultivate the spirit. And although we talk about them some in the evangelical church and in the Protestant church, we have grown fairly distant from the spiritual disciplines because it sounds too much like legalism. It sounds a little too much like a formula for being a good person. Like, for example, this discipline of fasting. Fasting has always been an aspect of religious expression. But I'm not sure how many, I wonder how many of you have fasted maybe in the last month. Maybe not many. Um, there's some confusion about the place of fasting, for example. But it, it smacks a little, especially because the Lord Jesus says he talked about fasting and he talked about how they used to make a big show of it. And we don't want that. And sometimes we, I believe, have become suspicious of the spiritual disciplines to the point that we are no longer disciplined. And uh, that's one of our reasons for some of our failings. I know it is for myself. And so I'd like to go back to um, the first talk, first excellence, and say, well, and I'm actually just going to talk briefly about it. I, I spent enough talk, time talking about it, but is there a, a way to do something practically? Not, to, again, to earn God's favor. It's not works in order to be saved, but works because I'm saved. And uh, here's what I came up with. And if you go with me back to Genesis, uh, we'll look at Joseph once more. And there's four L's. So when I was talking about, uh, just to recap once more, the discipline of virtue or the discipline of excellence, to supplement your faith with excellence, I talked about how there was really two areas Excellence in responsibility, and then excellence in morality. 
sort of two different ways of thinking about the word virtue or excellent. And I believe there's a place for both to be supplemented in our lives. We can be more excellent in all the roles and responsibilities we have, and by so doing, give glory to God. And we can be even more disciplined, I mean, even more excellent and virtuous in our morality, and so give glory to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, if we think, how can I be more excellent? It sounds so trite. I'm either excellent or I'm not. But I believe there's a way to discipline ourselves, and it's four L's. Learn, labor, love, and lead. So if you're a note taker or if you're somebody who just likes to remember things, I believe we can take, if you think about Joseph in the, all of the different roles and responsibilities he had, let's take when he was thrown into the prison, for example. In each place we find ourselves, whether it's the role of father, the role of employee, the role of employer, the role of son, whatever it might be, I believe we can discipline ourselves to learn about that role and responsibility. What makes a good father? What does it mean to be a good father? Why don't I study a little bit? Why don't I learn a little bit about it? There was a time when Joseph, a learning period for him as he was thrown into the prison, when he had to learn how do things work around here? When does the food come? You know, who's in charge? Which which of these prisoners are the ones who are rebellious? Which ones are, are not? So there's a learning period. And sometimes we skip that. Say in our job, I was talking to Jonathan about work. You know, when we're in a work experience, we need to spend time, what does it mean? What would it mean for me to be a good employee here? And so there's a learning period. Then there's the labor, the work. There is work involved. And so whether it's, obviously if you're an employee, it's obvious there's work involved. But what about if you're a son? Is there work involved to be a good son? A godly son? Yes. I think there is labor that we can do to strive for excellence. And once again, it's the Lord who's doing all this. But I believe these are expressions of His work in us. We can labor um, to be more excellent in these responsibilities. The third one is love, and that's why I wanted to look back here. I think in each situation we find ourselves... One of the ways that we can strive for more excellence in those roles is to be more loving. And so look at Joseph in the prison in chapter 40 of Genesis. It's really interesting. They dreamed... You know, we learn in chapter 39 that basically the keeper of the prison put everything in his responsibility, you know. And uh, because he was excellent in all ways, and boy, I'd love to be like that. I want to be like Joseph, because if a Christian is excellent, Jesus is the one who gets the glory. Because we're like John the Baptist. He must increase, and I must decrease. John the Baptist was excellent, but John the Baptist didn't get the glory, The Lord Jesus got the glory. All the disciples left John the Baptist, or at least the ones that knew what they were doing. And he was glad they left, and they went to the Lord. But anyway, Genesis 40, look at verse 6. They had a dream in verse 5, two, two of them. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, 
Why are your faces downcast today? Isn't that interesting? How loving. How loving. Who, why would he care? You know, wherever you are, if you're a son to your parents, if you're a parent to your children, if you're an employee to an employer or other employees, are you loving? Are you showing love? That's a way to be more excellent in that role or responsibility. And Joseph, everywhere he went, he was showing love, even to these prisoners. Why are you sad? Tell me about it. Talk to me. And look at chapter 41. Pharaoh has a dream himself, and he's troubled. And look at what he... Um, let's see. When Pharaoh calls Joseph in verse 14... Just a small comment. In verse 16, Joseph answers Pharaoh, It is not in me, but God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And I mean, that's maybe a reading a little bit into it, but it's almost as if he's rooting for Pharaoh here. He's like, God is going to give you a favorable answer. And there's love behind that. Even in his treatment of his, someone who had thrown him into prison. He didn't say, who do you think you are calling me up here? Why would I give you? God's going to tell me, but I'm not going to tell you. There's love in his willingness to give this answer. Everything he did, he was loving. And so we need to learn about the responsibility. We need to labor in it. Not just throw up our hands and say, I just can't wait till 5 o'clock. Oh my goodness. Or, Or as a... You know, we go to visit our parents, it's like, I can't wait to get out of here, you know. Or parents, I can't wait till that kid turns 18 and get him out of here. A lot of times we want to get out of our responsibilities, but we can labor in them, right, and give glory to God. And then be loving, we need to love, and then lead. And it might seem strange to say lead, well, there's only one leader. If you're at work, it's the guy, the boss, but everybody knows that's not true. My first job was uh, at Hardee's. And there was an old, everybody knew who was really in charge. It was this guy who cooked, who did the cooking. I mean, he wasn't paying the checks, but he's the one everybody respected. He was the one who was leading. And I believe that as believers, Christians, as we strive for excellence, we can lead by our example. Not that we'll have influence over everyone, and and it's not a power trip. But I think everywhere you go, In every role and responsibility, you can be a leader as a believer. Because we have the truth. We have the truth. Just briefly now on moral excellence. How do you strive for moral excellence? What can you do? How do you practice it? How can you become more disciplined? That's the goal. And here we just go look, uh, flip back to um, Potiphar's wife, 39. And we talked about this at the time. Here we see Joseph is very disciplined, very showing a lot of moral excellence. And there's a couple of different things that I think we can make practical for our own lives in each of our situations. So we talked about there are areas of temptation for you and me. They may be different for each of us, but there's a couple of things we need to do. When we look at what Joseph does in the, in the face of temptation... If you look at verse 9, 
Well, I'll just read the, the passage just so we have it in our minds. Joseph was, verse six, Joseph, at the end of verse 6, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. After a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he's put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you're his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And she spoke to Joseph day after day, and he would not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. But one day, as we know the story, when he went into the house to do his work, none of the men in the house was there. She caught him by the garment, saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And I think there are several principles that we see here. One of them is we need to frame the context of our sin. They all have to do with sin. We need to frame the context of, of our sin. We oftentimes we get in trouble when we're too focused, too narrow-minded. We don't t- step back and see what's really happening when we're tempted to sin. This sin may be uh, sexual immorality of some sort. This sin may be the, sin, the temptation to gossip. This might be, there's a, there's a whole range, a temptation to waste time. There's a whole range of sins that the believer can fall into. We need to frame the context. What exactly does it mean when I sin? And, and look at what Joseph does. He steps way back. First he steps back and says, he doesn't say, am I going to get caught or anything like that. He says, first of all, look at my context. I'm a Hebrew slave, but I am empowered in this house. He was able to see really what it would mean for him to, to sin. But then, obviously, what he does is he steps even further back and says, any sin is really a sin against God. If I open my mouth to complain about the rain, for example, and I, you know, that's something that we fall into, but there's a reason that the Bible says, do everything without complaining. If I complain about the rain, I'm complaining against God. It's just like Moses told the Egyptians. You're complaining against me, but who am I? When you complain against your boss, that guy always has it out for me. You might think you're complaining about your boss, but who you're really complaining about is God, who did not strike down your boss dead when he failed to give you a raise like you wish he did. He is sovereign over all these situations, so anytime we complain, we're really sinning against God. And so we need to really frame the context of our sin. We need to fear, not fear is a tricky word, but I think fear the consequences of sin. Sin has consequences. And so I just wanted another F, so I threw fear in there. We don't need to be afraid as as believers, but I think we need to have a serious measure of the consequences of sin. Because although we don't, want that to be our only motivation, it should at least motivate us a little bit. What is this sin going to do in my life? Sin has consequences. We need to fear the consequences of sin. We need to fight slash flee the causes of our sin. Fight slash flee the causes of our sin. Sometimes there is a place to fight them. 
to stand up and like he did to the woman, he said, no, I'm not going to. He enters into this big conversation. And we need to fight. It's a war that we're in. A war for, uh, you know, um, Peter says, these abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul. Right? So we need to be, realize we're in a battle and we need to fight the causes of our sin. But there are times we need to flee the causes of our sin. And I think there's nothing more practical than to find ways in which we can flee the causes of our sin. Identify the areas of sin in your life. We know they're there. Anyone who says he doesn't sin makes God a liar. And say, what is, is there some way I can remove this temptation? And there are sometimes. Maybe I shouldn't call that woman all the time if she's tempting me to gossip. Maybe I should cut that off for a while, even just a month. I'm going to fast from this conversation. I'm going to fast from this relationship. And by that discipline of self-control, I'm going to show God I'm serious about being more morally excellent. Okay, just briefly now to turn to adding knowledge. So, there are ways we can add, we can be disciplined and make every effort to add excellence or virtue in our, in our lives. And I believe that we can hopefully grab onto one of them. You know, if there's just one thing we can take from a message like this and say, I wasn't doing this before, but I'm going to do it now. I think... God looks at that and says, that person is serious. That person is serious about godliness. And what does he do when he sees someone who's serious? He pours out his blessing. And he does the work. You know, I think... um, I think that he, you know, Richard, a friend of mine, always used to say, we take one step toward him, he takes a thousand steps toward us. And that's true. But that one step is important. You know, we're not just sitting waiting for God. That's not what it means to wait on the Lord. But we'll take that step and say, Lord, you bring the increase. Turn to um, 2 Timothy. Because this is an area where I sometimes get frustrated because sometimes it seems like anytime someone's talking about how do you become more godly, how do you become more righteous, because I'm definitely interested in that. I want to be righteous, I want to be holy, I want to glorify the Lord with my life, my actions, my speech. People will say, pray and read the Bible. I'm like, man, I, you know, sure, those things are important, but I'm already praying, I, I'm trying to read the Bible, how can I do those things more? And, and sometimes we don't get practical enough. And Brother Jasper actually gave a talk a while ago about the Word, and I want to use his five points and to talk a little bit kind of use his five points and, and maybe think a little more intensely about ways that we can practice them. <clears throat> but first, 2 Timothy chapter 2. These are verses that we're familiar with. When it says in verse 15, my version says, do your best. Doesn't that sound like Peter? Be diligent, study thyself. I, I never really liked that very much, but... um. Study, in this context, doesn't mean sitting, uh, studying like at a desk like we typically study. But it really means diligence, applying diligence, making your best effort, just like we had in 2 Peter chapter 1, to present yourselves to God. What does that mean? When? Present myself to God when? When I see Him? No, I don't think so. I think this is the same presenting myself to God as we have in Romans. When it says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. 
So I come to God and I, it's like I'm laying myself on the altar and saying, here I am to use, God. But what kind of sacrifice am I? I'm an approved one, one that is a worker who is approved. You know, in uh, Romans 12, it says, you know, by God's will, you'll be able to know what is good and acceptable to the Lord. And so these, this verse has a lot to do with Romans 12, verse uh, 1 and 2. And so he says, present yourselves to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Rightly handling the word of truth. And so, I was going through in my mind and saying, how can I, in my own life, and then if I'm sharing with others, how can I really make this more and more practical? More something I can sink my teeth into. And so, I don't know how you read the Bible. Everybody kind of does it differently. Um, I think there's a great opportunity to share together how do you read the Bible. You know, I've, I, I learned a lot in conversations that I had in college where somebody would say, I, I was trying this the other day in my Bible reading. And I'd say, well, I'm going to try that. It's kind of like an experiment. I'm going to try that and see if it works for me. I'm going to do that. And so we, we talk to one another, we share our, it's not a trick, but we share our tactics, we share our techniques. And this is all, as I went back to, as I was talking about earlier, this goes back to the spiritual discipline of Bible reading. Bible reading isn't just simply something you do. It's something that you are learning to do your entire life. And you're being, you're a disciple, you're being disciplined in it, and I'm being disciplined in it. So how can I do it better? How can I do it better? And I think that whenever Brother Jasper was giving his message on the Word, he, he gave us five um, verbs. And so they were read, study, memorize, meditate, and obey. And I really think those are the meat of it. That's really the meat of it. We need to have all five of those areas increasing in our lives and by doing that, we're showing God, Lord, I want to add knowledge to my faith. I don't want to just be a person of faith. I want to add knowledge in a way that glorifies you. So if we think back to when we talked about adding knowledge, we talked about there's a way that knowledge can glorify the Lord, and there's a way that it can glorify ourselves and really puff ourselves up and give us a big head, and we want to strive not to do that. But the way to add knowledge in a godly way is always to go back to the Word of God, just like Joseph did. And was able to say, when, you know, I talked about Joseph and how he said, when we leave Egypt, take my bones with me. How did he know that? It says in Hebrews 11, by faith he gave instruction about his bones. That's because he knew the word of God. And he knew Genesis 15 and the promises there that were given to Abraham. And if we know the word of God, we will be knowledgeable people. And we, the words that were spoken of Israel, my people perish for a lack of knowledge, will not be spoken about us. We will be knowledgeable. And so, if you think about reading, how can I read the Bible in a way that's more productive? Here's a couple things that I just wanted to share. I'm not going to really deal more with verses. These are just more thoughts of my own. But I pray that you would <coughs> share yours with each other, with me. How do you read the Bible? We know, first of all, there's 
a reading of the Bible that is broad. It's in other words, trying to get the big picture. Reading quickly and reading broadly. And I would encourage everyone to do that. One of the ways that I've found really helpful this year is that I've been listening to the Bible on my phone with a through the Bible plan. So anyone who has a smartphone, I would encourage you to download that app and you can uh, listen to it while you're on your way to work. Anyone who doesn't have a smartphone, there's still CDs, they still make CDs for a couple more years. It has the Bible on it. In fact, I have a set if anyone would like it because I don't need it anymore because I have it on my phone. So if you need an audio Bible, I have one uh, that I can give you. And listening to the Bible, I think, is a way that we can really, not, not to put it tritely, but make good time. In other words, we can really ingest a lot of the Bible when we're listening to it, because sometimes when we're reading, it's, it's easy to fall asleep or to get distracted, but sometimes listening is helpful. You know, whenever it says, give attention to reading, Brother Jasper brought that verse before us, I can't remember where it is, I think it's in 1 Timothy 3, maybe, I don't know, right? Give attention to reading. He wasn't talking about this, right? He was talking about the public reading out loud of the Scripture. Why? Because a lot of people were illiterate in the church, right? So he didn't want there to be any lack of the Scripture in people's lives, so he told Timothy and other leaders in the church, give attention to reading. And so they were hearing the Word of God. How, how, how much have we heard the Word of God? You know, let's, let's let that be one way we read better and more broadly. Another thing that I've really found helpful in my life is writing the Scripture. So it might seem counterintuitive to say this is a way of helping me read the Scripture. But if you will take a copy, uh, say a book of the Bible that you really think is powerful. I remember at one point it was uh, Luke. I don't know why I chose Luke. But. And I wrote out the book of Luke. And that was really an exercise that was very helpful for me. And if you think about the way the Bible was passed down, where scribes would write the entire Bible over and over again. You'd have these monks, and they'd be sitting at the table writing the Bible. What an amazing thing. They were filled with the Bible because it was coming out of their own hands. Right? And I think that's a way, again, maybe something you've never tried before. Write out some of the Bible in your own hand. You know, what were the kings supposed to do? And... I wish I had that verse in front of me. I think it's Deuteronomy 17. If it's not, I'm not going to look for it. Yeah, look at that. Deuteronomy 17. I love this. The king. You'd think the king has a more important, really important things to be doing, right? But here's what the king of Israel, once they come along... Moses was giving instructions here. God was giving instructions through Moses about the king. And he says in verse 18, when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he, this is when he's the king, not before when he's practicing to be king or anything else. When he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law, approved by the Levitical priest, and it shall be with him, and then he shall read it 
all the days of his life. Why? That he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them. That his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers. That he may not turn aside from this commandment either to the right or to the left. That he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children. Isn't that great? The king was supposed to write out a copy of Deuteronomy. Most people believe that he was talking about the, the book of Deuteronomy, not the entire Torah. And keep it and read in it and do it. Wouldn't that be great? Let's do it. That's a way of reading the Bible differently, maybe, than we have in the past. Studying. So we said read. We need to study the Bible. What does it mean to study the Bible? And I think it means there's a couple different ways. And I would just encourage you to find, again, those of you who are into computers, find a good resource online and really use it for all it's worth. It means looking at commentaries which don't have spiritual authority but can be helpful in getting someone's perspective. So if you use computers and you wanted a couple websites, I just mentioned briefly, BibleCenter.org, and it's center spelled the British way, slash the wrong way, C-E-N-T-R-E. So BibleCenter.org, and that's a a website that has a lot of the writings of the brethren, and they have all the commentaries of the brethren. So if you're reading Jonah, and you don't want to just read it, but you want to study it, go on that site and go to the commentary section. There's another way of doing studies, which is word studies. Taking a word like fear, or a word like um, where we have here, study thyself to show, study to show thyself approved, and you study that word. And a great website for that is BibleApps.com. So for anyone into computers, there's, there's printed resources that are very valuable as well. And I'm sure some of our older brethren would be, have tons of them that they use. And we need to go to these and really work at it and study the Word of God. And those are two ways of studying that have been fruitful in my life. Word study and commentaries. And we can make the most of them. I'm running out of time now. Another one that he said, read study, memorize. Are we memorizing the Bible? Right? Are we memorizing the Bible? People used to memorize stuff all the time. They used to, when it, whenever my dad went to school, everybody would memorize, um, I think that I shall never see a poem's lovely as a tree and all that, right? And then there was another one about the blacksmith. Did anybody ever memorize the blacksmith poem? You did, right? Yeah. Under the spreading chestnut tree, the village smithy stands, right? And there, people used to think it was valuable to memorize stuff. Now they don't. In school, they don't make you memorize anything. Uh, all you do is learn how to find stuff on the computer. There's value in that. In other words, there's value in learning how to find information, but there's also value in storing it in your mind. And we've got to feel the same way about the Word of God. So I would encourage you, if you haven't before, or if maybe you used to and you don't anymore, try to memorize Scripture. It's very difficult. Mm-hmm. You might not be able to do it. But I would rather fail to memorize Scripture than succeed at memorizing something else. In other words, I would rather try and fail. If you try and fail to memorize Romans chapter 8, that is time better spent than memorizing the lyrics of a popular song, which we are very good at, right? So don't let your failure in the past keep you from trying to do it. Try and fail. 
Another thing that keeps people from memorizing Scripture is they forget the stuff that they used to remember. In other words, I memorized the book of 2 Timothy in college, but I couldn't tell it to you now. But I heard a guy say, I, I hope one day to have forgotten the entire New Testament. And I was like, what do you mean? You can't forget it unless you memorize it first. right? So in other words, his goal was to memorize it and then forget it. It passes in your mind and God uses it and then it will pass out. But we still need to be working at memorizing the Scripture. Martin Luther memorized the entire book of Romans. And in fact, he said that any serious Christian should memorize Romans. And that's a pretty big goal, right? But I would encourage you to memorize a long passage of Scripture. You could start with a psalm, but you could also go to a short book of the Bible. And there, if you want to, again, there's a lot of resources online about tactics for memorizing long passages of Scripture. There's a really good four-part plan that if you're interested, I can, I can tell you about that. But we need to memorize the Bible. Meditation is the connection. We, t- we talked earlier about read the Bible and pray more. Meditation is a great connection between reading the Bible and praying. We, pray, we read the Bible. We come across an amazing statement in the Bible. Like this one, maybe, about the king. That he might do it, right? And then meditation basically focuses in on that one thing, that small thing, and chews it, ruminates on it, and that leads you into prayer. And it fuels your prayer life with the Word of God. So we want to be disciplined to meditate on the Word. And then obeying is obvious. Although how how often we fail to do it. Obeying means taking something that I find in Scripture that pricked my heart oh, I'm not doing that, or I need to do that, and really saying, I'm going to do it. He who knows what's right and doesn't do it is sinning, right? That's what we find in James. So I pray that those are ways that we can make every effort to add to our faith excellence and knowledge, and then prayerfully we can add self-control in the coming weeks and really move forward in our relationship with the Lord for His glory. Thank <clears throat> you.